Now I'm about to preach. I, I, there's something stirring in my heart this morning that the Holy Spirit's just been cultivating and showing me and teaching me and challenging me with, and I just want to share it with you. I want to talk about the lukewarm Christian life. Uh, and, and even more specifically, I want to talk about not living a lukewarm Christian life. So I'm just going to dive in. Are you ready? Hey, hey, church, we're not supposed to be lukewarm. Revelations chapter 3, verse 16 says that we're supposed to be hot, on fire, burning for Jesus. If we're not hot, God would actually rather us be cold, ice, freezing. Look at me, church. There is no in-between life. We're not supposed to live life in the in-between. The enemy would love nothing more than for you and I to be lukewarm, a casual, comfortable Christian. He would love that because he knows that when we become lukewarm, you're no good for you and you're certainly no good for anyone else around you. He's got you right where he wants you. Are you with me? Life in the in-between is no life at all. It's actually, I know this from experience. I'm sharing my heart with you this morning. It's the most miserable life that you could ever live. It's the life of existing. It's the life of of just cruising, coasting at an altitude of whatsoever. And Jesus is neither here nor there. You're no good for you or anyone else. And look, let me tell you what, what I feel like has also just been hitting my heart recently that I feel like goes along with that so well. And Jeremy has talked about this. But y'all, if there was ever a time, now is the time to get the fear of God on your life. To get, to get this fear of God. There's so much happening around us. Are you with me? Like, the, I don't know if you can feel it, but there's a shaking that's taking place. A, a shifting, a sifting. There's this unveiling. There's this undoing. Things are rising to the surface. Things in life and people are being exposed. And church, now is the time to answer the question, what side of the fence are we going to be on? It's either hot or it's cold. There is no in-between. It's a choice that we have to make. Because Christians that are living the lukewarm life, they are being exposed right now. Listen, we could be so focused on what's not happening and all the things that are shaking, and I disagree with that, and I disagree with this. Or we can realize and see it from a kingdom point of view and goes, man, when all hell breaks loose, it's an opportunity for all heaven to break loose. When all hell breaks loose, it's an opportunity for revival to take place. It's an opportunity for us to decide which side of the fence we're going to be on. And Jesus paid a price for us to burn with him. Forever, every day of our life. No in between. We got to get the fear of God. The fear of God is not being afraid of God. It's actually quite the opposite. It's being in love with Him. You, you, you know, the fear of God is not being afraid of Him. Woo! As a matter of fact, this is another thing that's been hitting my heart. Is did you know that when Jesus died on the cross, it talks about this in 1 Thessalonians and in the book of Romans. When Jesus died on the cross, he not only took on our sin, he took on the wrath of God. 
Okay, right. Stay. He took on our sin. He took on the wrath of God so that we wouldn't have to experience it. Do you know what the wrath of God is? It's you and I spending an eternity apart from Him forever. And Jesus did that too. He took on our sin. He took on the wrath of God. And then He went to hell in our place, which must have seemed like an eternity those three days. And then on the third day, He was rose, raised from the dead, alive and well, so that when we believe in Him with our heart, and invite him to come into our life. Our sins are forgiven. They're forgotten. We step into an intimate relationship with the Father that we never have to be afraid of. And we step into eternity right here, right now, and forevermore. Are you with me? Do you understand that the wrath of God is not coming against you? It's coming against the sin that keeps you from experiencing the life that Jesus prayed for you to have. Are you with me this morning? I came not to play around this morning. I came to run with Jesus with a reckless abandonment and invite you with me. You make a mistake, man, there's grace. There's grace. But how many of you know that just because grace is available doesn't mean that you get to experience it? You're really quiet. There is a decision to be made, an action to be took, a choice to be made. It's available. And only when I believe it, receive it, then you can see what it can do and just how powerful it is. Are you with me? There's a choice to be made. Right or left, up or down, Jesus or bust, it's time to get off the fence, church. It's time to live with the fear of God on our life. And it's not being afraid of Him. It's actually the opposite. It's being in awe of who He is. It's this, God, I cannot believe that you are who you are. I cannot believe that you gave up your son so I could become one. I cannot believe that you love me in that way, that I get to be a part of the kingdom, that I get to experience your splendor, your majesty, your glory, your power, day in and day out. I cannot believe what you've made available to me is so good. This is the fear, the awe of God. See, the lack of awe of God in our life, the lack of this awe, the lack of this awareness that what he has for us is so good, the lack of this awareness of his love, of his goodness, of his glory, of his splendor, of his majesty, the lack of this awe results in flippancy it results in a lukewarm Christian life it results in shenanigans it results in you and I becoming a comfortable casual Christian and we actually give ourselves permission to live a compromised life the lack of all results in shenanigans church when there is an awe of God on our life and the fear of the Lord for who He is and what He's done and what He's doing, the result is I have zero desire to ever do anything apart from Him. The thought of doing something apart from God makes me sick to my stomach because I know who He is and what He's made available. We got to get the fear of God on our life. It's raining. I actually had this vision, man, of the blood of Jesus raining down on us this morning. And him standing before us, man, just like, it's here. Are you ready? You want it. You can have as much as you want. He paid a price for us to burn. Church, we're not supposed to live life in the in-between. I believe with all my heart that the enemy could care less if you were a Christian and had a home in heaven one day. I believe the enemy could actually care less if you make Jesus your Savior as long as you don't make him your Lord. 
As long as you and I don't allow Jesus to Lord from within us. As long as we don't wake up and say, Jesus, I surrender my all to you. Holy Spirit, I will live with an awareness of your person, your presence, your voice. I am you. You go right, I go right. You go left, I go left. You jump up and down, I'll jump with you. Because I believe, Jesus, you are my life. Church, it's time to wake up. It's time to make a decision. Things are shaking. And the result is going to be revival. And you're either in or out. The enemy could care less if Jesus is our Savior. He didn't want him to be our Lord. See, the enemy knows that when you and I choose to live a lukewarm life, neither here nor there, no good for you or anyone else, he's got you right where he wants you. He knows that when we live a lukewarm life, we become susceptible to compromise and we're okay with it. When we live a lukewarm life, we begin to represent Jesus out there. Not the full version of him, but our version of him. All of a sudden, when people look at your life, they don't see him. They see you, and that's a mistake. The goal is not for people to see you. The goal is for people to see Christ in you. It's the burning life for him. The enemy also knows that when we live a lukewarm life, we'll have zero desire to ever tell anybody about who Jesus is and what he's done in our life. We're existing. We're cruising and coasting at an altitude of whatsoever. And he's here nor there. These are things that the Holy Spirit's been showing me. It's true. Revelation chapter 3, verse 16, it says, If you're neither hot nor cold, God will spew you out of his mouth. We don't care for that scripture. We overlook that scripture, and our question is, God, where's your grace? Where does your grace come into play? Oh, it's always at play, church. It's available. Just because he spews you out of his mouth doesn't mean he won't let you back in, but you got to make that decision. you got to get on your knees and repent and say, Jesus, I'm yours. He's standing always with his arms open wide. Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart, waiting on you to let him in so that you can fall into his arms and live a life that you've never thought of or dreamed of with Jesus because he is life. Where's God's grace? It's right here. Just because it's available doesn't mean you get to experience it. you got to say yes. Then and only then can you see what it can do. you got to apply this thing to your life. Are you with me? There was a statistic shared several years ago. And, and it was, it blew my mind and it, it, I, I fell on my knees afterwards. But they interviewed a group of people and 90% of these people that they interviewed had become Christians in their 20s, okay? They, were, they become Christians and they were on fire for God. They were in love with Jesus. They were hungry for more. Many of them stepped into vocational ministry, but all of them, almost 90% was living out ministry as a lifestyle. I mean, they were excited. They were on fire. They were burning. And then they interviewed this same group that had become Christians in their 20s when they were in their 60s. And they said, the same group, man, you would never even know that they became a Christian when they were 20. Almost all 90%, man, Jesus was neither here nor there. They lost their passion. They lost their fire. They'd stopped living ministry and lifestyle. They stopped doing the things that God called them to do. That you would never even know that they were a Christian. And that hit me. I was like, God. What happened from their 20s to their 60s? What happened in that 40-year time span? Because I do not want to be that casualty. 
I don't want to be that person. I don't want this thing to taper off. I mean, you, you, you know, man, when, if you're being really honest with yourself this morning, if, you're, if you were to answer this honestly, man, when you first became a Christian, how, how on fire were you for God? And if it's not you, you know of people that became Christians and the beginning of it, it was new, it was awesome, you were on fire. Man, you were telling everybody about Jesus, but then a day goes by and a month goes by and a year goes by and three years later, man, this thing has begun to taper off. And you're no longer passionate and you're no longer on fire. And I just, I gotta know, why is that? Why do we lose that? What happens? Because see, I actually believe, I'm yelling. I actually believe that this thing doesn't have to taper off. This act can actually increase. Every day of our life. I actually believe that our fire can burn bigger and brighter every single day. I actually believe that we can live with an awareness of the Holy Spirit and every day He just stokes our fire and fans our flame. I actually believe, man, that you and I can live life in the overflow. That our cup can overflow. I can be more hungry for Jesus tomorrow than I am today. This is the kingdom of God. Why do we lose the zeal? Why, why, why do we wake up on a Sunday morning and have to choose whether or not we're going to come and be a part of the family? Why? Why, why? why do we have to make a conscious decision to get in the Word of God and pray? I got a few answers. This is not the end all be all. Listen, if you came this morning for a fluffy message to make yourself feel good, that ain't what the Holy Spirit did for me. He began to hit my heart with this word right here. And I began to get on my knees. Uh, let me give you a couple reasons of why I feel like things taper off. We lose the fire. We lose the passion. And they're actually really, really simple. One of them is, is for whatever reason, man, I think sometimes Jesus just becomes another thing, another relationship, just like every other thing in every other relationship. Right? Like, in the beginning, it's so new, and then it tapers off, and Jesus, it's because this, we've just viewed Jesus and looked at him as another thing in our life, another relationship that we already have, and we just add him to our life, and I just got news this one real simply put, Jesus ain't like any other thing or any other relationship in your life. There is no, he is the king of, there is no one like him. He can't just be everything. You ever bought a new car before? You got this, I love uh, that new car smell. And even if you buy a used car, it's new to you, right? And you get it and it smells so good. Oh, this new car. And it drives so smooth and you're telling everybody, go check out my new car, don't touch it. You can look at it, don't touch it, wipe your feet off. It's a new car. Then a day goes by and a week goes by and a month goes by and a year goes by. Three years go by and all of a sudden it's just another car. It's no longer new anymore. It's just your convenience. It just gets you from place to place. And if we're not careful, we don't even realize that this is Jesus. He's just our convenience getting from place to place. We turn to him when we feel like it. And the result is, is a lukewarm lack of all life. He ain't like anything or anyone else in your life, church. Isaiah 43, 18 says that God wants to do something new in your life every day. Can you envision it? Every day you wake up, man, Jesus is at your bedside sitting on pins and needles. Oh, waiting on us to turn and just give him the time of our day. 
waiting to take us by the hand, waiting to pour in us, waiting, waiting to show us new things, waiting to reveal new things, waiting to take us on an adventure of a lifetime. It's called the Jesus life. There's no such thing as a boring life when you're a Christian. But there is if you're lukewarm. Come on, man. I think the other reason that we lose the fire, we lose the passion, we stop burning, is for whatever reason down the line, we give our permission to look at other Christians, what they're saying, what they're doing. And if they say it and they do it, we give ourselves permission to say it and do it. Well, I guess that's what Christianity is like. Look at me, church. The, the, The goal is not to be a great Christian. Come on. Jesus did not pay a price for you to be a good Christian. He paid a price for us to become more and more like him. The only person we should be comparing our life to is the person of Jesus Christ. But for whatever reason down the line, we give our permission, self-permission to look at other Christians, what they're saying, what they're doing. And we're just like, man, I guess that's okay. And they're already living a lukewarm life, so you jump in the lukewarm boat with them. And Jesus is going, this is not what I died for. I died for you to burn. I died for you to compare, to model, and to pattern your life after me. The goal in this Christian life is not to become good. It's to become like Christ. And you can because it's no longer you that lives. But it's he that lives inside of you. We're supposed to burn for Jesus. Get off the fence, church. It's time to decide which side you want to be on. Hot or cold. I don't want to be spewed out. He paid too high a price. And I think oftentimes, here's what happens. Because we compare our life to other Christians rather than Jesus, and Jesus just becomes another thing in a relationship in our life, we hit the altitude of we're just cruising our relationship with Jesus. Ooh, we're just cruising, man. You know when you're cruising, I'm doing the the plane (laughs) explanation, but when you're cruising down the highway, man, and you hit cruise control, man, you get distracted. I mean, you're just, you're, you're holding the wheel with one thumb and you're looking to the right or to the left. When we begin to cruise in our relationship with Jesus, we'll become comfortable in our relationship with Jesus. Do you know that there's a difference between being content and being comfortable? I love, content, contentment's good. I'm content because I know who he says I am and I know who he is. But when I become comfortable, I'll forget who he says I am and I'll lose sight of who he is. Oh my gosh, you're comparing to other Christians. Jesus is just becoming another thing. Man, you hit cruise control. Because you hit cruise control in your relationship with Jesus, you become comfortable. And when you become comfortable, man, Jesus just becomes another option on the list. He just becomes a chore. Well, I should probably read my Bible today. Maybe I'll go with Wes to street ministry this Saturday. Maybe I should come to church and it becomes all things that you should be doing rather than an overflow of an intimate relationship of being in love with Jesus Christ. Are you with me, church? Yo, it's time. It's time. You're cruising. You become comfy. Jesus becomes a chore. And when Jesus becomes a chore, you slip off into a lukewarm boat. And Jesus never paid a price for you to live inside of a lukewarm boat. He paid a price for us to walk on the water. For us to experience so much more. But because we're living inside of a lukewarm boat, we become susceptible to the enemy. He's got you right where you want, where he wants you. You're no good for you. You're no good for anyone else around you. You're existing. And then all of a sudden, you become susceptible to a life of compromise. And you're okay with it. All because you're cruising. You're comfortable. Jesus is a chore. You're in a lukewarm boat. Oh, man. You're okay. 
with a life of compromise. And it starts small. It's not these big, loud, proud sins. It starts small. You know how that enemy works? How many of you know that there's no such thing as a small compromise in our life? It's a big deal in the kingdom of God. Ephesians 5.27 says, if you give the enemy a, 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 a foot, he'll take a whole foothold. Are you with me? If you give him an inch, he'll take a foot. If you open up the door just a little bit, he'll slither his way in. And the next thing you know, you're headed down a path you never dreamed of. All because you're cruising, you're comfortable. Jesus is a chore. You're in a lukewarm boat. You're susceptible to the ways of the enemy. It's like, oh man, it's, and it starts small. In your mind, well, I mean, I, I'm going I'm to tell, tell the truth. I'm going to leave out a little details to protect them. It's called a white lie, and you've become okay with it. And actually, white lies partners with the father of lies. And the next thing you're doing is you're living a life of lies. Well, you know, at least it's not pornography. At least I don't look at that, you know, I'm not into that, man. But yet every risque thing that pops up on your phone, you click on it. And you're looking at every piece of skin except the ones that qualifies for it to be pornography and you've become okay with it. Well, it's just one scene in a movie. It's just a little bit of nudity. It's rated R and all the other Christians that I know are doing it. You're comparing your life to someone else instead of Jesus Christ. And you're opening up that door just a little bit for the enemy to slither his way in. And the next thing you know, man, it's over. Next thing you know, even more than that, you're just like everybody else. And if we become like everybody else, what use is our Jesus for them? There's a story in the Bible that I feel like goes along really well with this. I realize that I'm, I'm, I'm always passionate. Maybe I'm a little more than normal. This is something that has hit home in my own life. I will never, ever preach a a message that the Holy Spirit has not already been doing in my life or that He's doing right now. I am preaching to my own heart this morning. Are you you okay? There's a story in the Bible in the book of uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 14. And it's the story, it's when Nathan comes to visit David in his palace after, so let me set it up, after David has committed adultery with Bathsheba and murdered her husband Uriah to try to cover it up. So Nathan comes to visit him and shares a story with him. But, but watch, let me just, let me say this. How do you know that David is unlike any other king? See, David was a warrior king. And it says in the previous chapter, chapter 11, it says, and in the season where kings went out to war. See, David was actually supposed to be out on the battlefield. There was an anointing on David's life to lead his troops to slay the giant. There was an anointing on his life for that. But for whatever reason, I got reasons of my own that I'll share with you. For whatever reason, he decided to stay in the palace and not go out to war. Can I suggest, could it be, man, that David, that God had just become another thing in David's life and he loved him and he followed him? Could it be that David, as the king of Israel, began to look at other kings and compare his kingmanship with theirs? And could it be that David realized, man, well, the other kings don't go out to battle and war with their troops. 
So I guess I won't either this time when really that was the anointing on his life. He was born for the battlefield. Are you with me? So because David began to compare with other kings because God had just become another relationship in his life, he began to cruise at an altitude of whatsoever. And then all of a sudden, man, when he's, he's cruising, he becomes comfortable in a relationship with God. He gets distracted. When he becomes comfortable, all of a sudden, God just becomes another chore. He's what I have to do. And all of a sudden, David found himself slipped off into a lukewarm boat, susceptible to the enemy and his ways. He stayed in the palace, and sure enough, he found his Bathsheba. Because he's cruising, he's comfortable. God has become a chore. He slipped off into a lukewarm boat. Look at me, church. This applies here. I I don't always use this language. How many know you and I were created for the battlefield? I call it the harvest field now because we know the battle's already been won. But if you and I are only ever coming and staying, if we're only ever doing the same old things, if we're only ever comparing our life to other Christians' lives, if we find ourselves cruising and comfortable and it becomes a chore and we get in a lukewarm boat, we become susceptible to the enemy. And sure enough, if you and I choose to live in the palace instead of build the battlefield, we will find our Bathsheba. Make no mistake about it. We were born for so much more. Church, it's time. This conviction has hit my heart, man. It's time to rise up. And so Nathan comes to David and says, David, I want to share a story with you. And Nathan says, David, there's a rich man who has all these cattle and sheep, anything and everything he's ever wanted. And then there's this poor man in town. He only had enough money for one little lamb. And so he decided to raise that lamb up with his family. And that lamb drank from his cup and ate from his table. And that little lamb would fall asleep in his arms. It says that that little lamb became like a daughter to him. And then a traveler comes through town. And so the rich man, instead of getting one of his many sheep, to slaughter and feed to the traveler. The rich man went to the poor man's house and got his only lamb that he raised to be a daughter, slaughtered it and fed it to the traveler. And it says that David, when he heard this, he burned with anger. It said, surely this rich man should be put to death and have to pay four times over for taking that only man's little lamb that he called a daughter. And then Nathan goes, David, Do you not realize you are that rich man? Do you not see it? See, I would like to suggest that before David, before Nathan came to David, he had not even realized that he had been living in a lukewarm boat. He had not even realized the gravity of the decisions to commit adultery, commit murder. Those are pretty extreme things. But it probably started in what we consider small. David, do you not realize you're that rich man? Do you not realize that you had everything that you've ever wanted and dreamed of? God has given you all of Israel and Judea. He spared you from Saul's hand and gave you all of his wives. In other words, what Nathan is telling to David, David, do you not realize that more than all those things you had, the favor of God was on your life. But yet you went and took Bathsheba for yourself, the only wife that Uriah had, and then covered it up by taking his life. And it says, then David hit his knees and repented. Hey, church, let me me, me just say this. Here's a question this morning. This is what we have to answer. Is Jesus enough? This is what we got. 
this is what we got to answer. It's not my life and Jesus. He's not an add-on. Is Jesus enough? The answer to that is yes. God has given us everything and we can have as much as we want. All we have to do is ask. See, oftentimes we're living life and we're so focused on us and what we're doing and where we're going in the dreams that we have. And we just invite Jesus to be a part of what we're doing in our life and our dreams. And that ain't what God ever intended. Jesus ain't supposed to be a part of our life. He's everything, church. And until Jesus becomes the true dream come true, you will never be fulfilled or satisfied. No amount of money, no accolades, nothing will fulfill you like he can and will. I promise. I promise. And I've actually discovered this too. When, when Jesus becomes the dream come true, that's actually what opens the doors for us to step into the dreams that God has for us. But we step into it the right way. We step into it giving him the glory and we have no desire to build our kingdom but to build his. The only one that's going to be left standing anyway. And the result is fulfillment, satisfaction, it's joy, it's peace, it's hope, it's freedom, it's life. His name is Jesus Christ. Are you with me? This is the question. Is Jesus enough? Well, the story's not over. David realizes in that moment after that story, the gravity of his decisions falls on his knees, repents. And here's what's awesome. Here's that grace we've been talking about that's always at play. Nathan goes, God has forgiven you, boy. Isn't that awesome? And as a matter of fact, after all that took place, God called David a man after his own heart. Church, I want you to look at me right now. There's nothing you could ever say or do that can keep you from the destiny that God has for you. And it's because of his all-powerful grace that is always available right here and right now. But I want you to notice, David hit his knees. He turned. He turned so that he could burn for Jesus. Not turn or burn. He turned so he could burn for Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. It ain't over. Watch this. Nathan continues. It's as if the first part Nathan wanted to address David in his own personal life, in the decisions that he had made apart from God. Now, Nathan wants David to realize that not only has that decision affected you and your relationship with God, that decision has also affected everyone else around you that looks to you as king and looks to you as a follower of God. Because here's what Nathan says. Because you have decided to compromise, because you've decided to live in a lukewarm boat, because you have decided to cruise and become comfy, and God has become a chore, and you've made yourself susceptible to the enemy, you found your Bathsheba. Here's what happened you gave an occasion for the enemies to come out and mock God. When you and I call ourselves Christians, But we live a lukewarm in-between life. We give an opportunity to come out and say, See, God, I told you so. They never were yours to begin with. David, because of the decisions you made, you gave an occasion for the devil to come out and say, See, God, 
David never was yours to begin with. Look what he did. Let's take it even further. When you and I call ourselves Christians, but we live a lukewarm life, we give an occasion for people that are enemies of God. People that want nothing to do with Him. Our world, our society, our government that wants to implement the ways of the world. We give them an opportunity to come out and be emboldened in their sin. When we live a lukewarm life, we give an occasion for the enemies to come out and say, man, they call themselves Christians. They ain't no different than us. It gives them permission to be emboldened in a life of sin. And if we're no different than anyone else, if we live in the same mess that everyone else lives in because we're straddling a, lie, a, a fence, what use is our Jesus for them? You ain't no good to you. You ain't no good to anyone else around you. Sound intense? It was when it hit my heart too. But it's the truth that'll set you free. Jesus paid a price for us to burn like we never have before. I, I don't know what time it is, Caroline. Five minutes. You know, there's a similar story. This will be it, and then I'll close, and then we'll just get on our face. Does that sound good? Because I, I wanted y'all. I, I want, I want, I want all of it. And it's available. In the book of Mark, chapter 11, verses 12 through 14, man, Jesus and his disciples are walking and they're hungry and they, Jesus sees a fig tree. And I want you to notice the, 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 the language. It says the fig tree was in leaf. When a fig tree is in leaf, that means there is fruit on the tree. That means there is fruit behind the leaves. Jesus and his disciples see a fig tree and leaf and go, there's the fruit we've been looking for. Jesus goes to it. It's in season. It's in leaf. But guess what? There is no fruit. And so in that moment, Jesus, it sounds harsh. He curses that tree. And it says that the next day that tree is withered. What? what, what? That sounds harsh. But listen, what? what what is Jesus trying to tell us? Listen, this is a fig tree. It's in season. It's in leaf, which means it's supposed to be bearing fruit. It's not doing what it's supposed to be doing. It is a false advertisement to the rest of the world. What good is it being a tree for itself and for people coming to pick the fruit? If there's no fruit to pick, it is a living, walking, well, it doesn't walk. It is a living, false advertisement. How many Christians do you know, if you were to be honest with yourself this morning, we call ourselves Christians, but we're living, walking, false advertisements because there is no fruit. And the reason there's no fruit is because we're cruising, we're comfortable. Jesus has become a chore. We've slipped off into a lukewarm boat. We've made ourselves susceptible to compromise, and we're okay with it. You're no good for you or anyone else. You're no different than anyone else. We're supposed to be a fig tree in leaf at all time. And there's supposed to be fruit for people yeah, to come up come and pick and eat. Are you happy this morning? Some of you look scared. You don't have to be. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. 
The fear of God is not being afraid of him or what he's going to do. His wrath is not coming at you. It's coming against the sin that keeps you from living the life that Jesus paid for you to have. Have no fear. God is right here. His arms are open wide. Jesus is standing at the door of your heart, knocking, saying, just open up and your life will never, ever be the same. Woo! Do you want it this morning? Let's all stand up. Do you want it? Are you ready to burn? Are you ready to make a decision? Which side of the fence do you want to be on, church? Because life in the in-between is no life at all. Church, I don't know what you came for. I don't know what you have going on in your life. But God's grace is available. It's here. It's right now. And this morning is an opportunity of a lifetime to simply say, Jesus, yes. I want you, if you're on a fence, it's to simply say, Jesus, forgive me, and he will. I'm ready to burn for you. If you're already burning, there's an opportunity to have more. If you are cold, ice, and freezing, God's grace is available. You can repent. You can fall on your knees like David did, and he will meet you right where you are no matter what you've done. It's an unconditional love that Melanie talked about last week. It's an unconditional love. He'll meet you where you are no matter what you've done. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And he sent his son Jesus to pay a price so that you and I would burn right here, right now, and forevermore. Do you want it? If you want it, come forward. Come on, if you want it, come get on your face. If you want it, come get on your knees. If you want it, come forward. Come on, make a commitment right now. Jesus is you. Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my heart. I give you my mind, my body, my soul, my spirit. I'm all yours, Jesus. I'm all yours, Jesus. Come on. Come on, we're going to lay it all down right now. Just give him everything. If you need to repent, repent. He'll meet you. He'll forgive you. You can start over this morning. He'll cast your sins as far as the east is from the west. Come on, give him everything. Jesus, we surrender all. Come on. Come on, no in-between. He wants you to burn every day of your life, everywhere you go. He wants you to experience the extraordinary life. He wants you to experience the adventure of a lifetime. His name is Jesus. Come on, give him everything. Give him your household. Give him your kids. Give him your job. Give him your dreams. Give him your aspirations. Give him your accolades. Give him everything. He is worthy of it all. He will take it and use it for his glory.